You're listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Here's your host, writer, reader, journalist, and lover of soy latte, Sinead Maripodi. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me on Writers Off The Page. I've had some incredible authors on the program, and today is no exception. Sarah Foster's the internationally published best-selling author of six, soon to be seven, psychological suspense novels, including You Don't Know Me, The Hidden Hours, and Beneath the Shadows. Before she was a writer, Sarah worked as a book editor, firstly in-house for HarperCollins UK, then freelance. Sarah's new book, The Hush, is out this week. Sarah Foster, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Sinead. I'm a massive fan of your work. So I was kind of like a kid on Christmas when I got an early read of The Hush. Oh my God, it, <laughs> it is amazing. It's blown my mind and I've lost countless hours of sleep while reading it. I'll get you to tell me a little bit about the plot. Oh, um, yeah, it's been fantastic but to write because it's been part of my PhD project. So I've been working on it for about five years um, and a lot has changed since I've been writing it. So to summarise the plot, it is set in England in a time when it's sort of near future, so about five years into the future, at a time when there's a number of unexplained stillbirths happening across the country. And in addition to that, teenage pregnant girls are going missing So in response to that, the government have clamped down on a lot of women's freedoms and they're sort of increasing surveillance powers across all their citizens. But into this come my dynamic mother-daughter duo of Emma and Lainey. So the book is told from both their points of view. So Emma is a midwife at the local hospital and she is determined to look after the women and the babies who need her. And Lainey is a high school student at the local school and one of her friends, Ellis, is one of the missing pregnant teenage girls. So as they come together and get more and more embroiled in what's going on in the wider world, it takes a very personal turn. But in response to that, they have a community of fantastic women who come together and everyone is determined to basically fight back against what is going on without giving too much away. And so I hope that although it sounds and it is quite a dark premise, that this book is also a real celebration of female friendship and female community and mothers and daughters as well. Well, you did it very, very well. And I'm intrigued, actually. I was doing the maths while I was reading it because you've said it in a post-COVID type world. But you're saying, So you've been working on it for five years. So then was COVID a late addition into the into the book. Yeah, I know. It's crazy how much has changed since I've been working on it. So when I started this book, it felt very futuristic, you know, almost dystopian. Um, it has dystopian elements in it. And part of my studies was around dystopia as well. But as time has gone by, it's just felt more and more topical, which is strange and frightening and yeah just I've watched a lot of things not just COVID even but the women's marches Me Too movement all sorts of things have come out in the last five years that have completely changed the context and as I've been writing it I've been kind of reworking just tweaking bits of it the story stayed basically the same but just adding elements in to increase that relevance to make sure that it stayed central and didn't suddenly become something that sounded too way off the mark yeah well, it's not way off the mark. I mean, particularly now, like you said, like it's it's almost scary reading it because yes, you've sensed um you've you've made a future of I guess some of it is gosh, how do I word it? Um 
possibilities, I suppose. But some of the concepts in there, like I don't think I'm giving anything away when I say that everyone has to wear compulsory watches in the in the book for the government to kind of keep track. Um, I kind of feel it's not so unimaginable anymore the way that they're going. <laughs> it's messed with my head a little bit, to be honest. Yeah. Well, it does. It does mess with your head. And I, it was messing with my head as I was going along and I was seeing things in the news reflecting things that either I was writing about or I'd already written. And surveillance was something I was really interested about a few years ago. And I was actually, when I was doing the research for the watches, one of the more memorable moments I had was when I read an article about how people could use you wearing a watch to figure out what you were writing because the watch actually monitored the movements of your hand. Oh. And yeah, and I was like, there's so many ways in which I hadn't realised that surveillance creeps into your life. And that was a real, and they, you know, they, the, yeah, the pally, that's a thing that you can use these watches to actually Well, I'm thinking back to, I remember um, the old movie, The Minority Report, Maybe I don't know if you saw it where they oh, have really, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. a long time yeah. ago I watched. I studied it, I think, while I was at uni. And it's very much, yeah, the surveillance concept and what the limits are and I suppose when lines get blurred. So where did your original inspiration, if it wasn't COVID then, because here I was thinking that you must have started this early last year and I'm like, damn, she is a fast writer. <laughs> <laughs> um, where did the original inspiration come from? So the original inspiration is all around the mother-daughter relationship. So I basically wanted to write a story about that reconnected mothers and daughters because I'd noticed that in lots of the kind of contemporary dystopian fiction within the last 20 years, the mothers are either absent or dead or missing in some other way, maybe psychologically damaged or otherwise removed. But there was a whole series of books that came out in the first couple of decades of the century, like Hunger Games, Divergent, Matched, very popular books. Um, Uglies was another one um, where mothers were just sidelined in this way. And I was really keen on those books and reading them at the time and uh, because I was interested in why they were so popular and I began to notice this trend and it triggered something in me because I, I had my first daughter in 2009 and I guess I put the two things together. I was thinking, okay, if she read these books, you know, the mother figure is absent. Where is that connection with that maternal line? And I just began to investigate more of these books, what happened with all the mothers um, and noticed how many of them were missing and decided I wanted to write a really strong story where that maternal line had been reconnected. And it's basically sent me down a rabbit hole of research that sparked this PhD as well, where I've found out that there's a whole lot more to it. And, you know, we've got a long lineage of all sorts of missing elements around the concept of the mother, however ever present the mother seems in society, because obviously it's one of the most talked about things in society um, and trying to rework that to become something different and something powerful for women rather than something that then inadvertently undermined the different generations. So what made you do this book as part of a PhD? Where did that all come from? Well, <laughs> that was a very practical reason because I didn't have a book contract at one stage and while I was trying to sell my one of my books I think it was um it was um all that's lost between us I noticed that um I could also do a PhD 
And so I then, excuse me, I then um, had a look round to see what I could do on this topic and applied to Curtin. And I managed to apply for a scholarship and get a scholarship. And then in the meantime, sold all that's lost between us to a publisher. And the two things completely happened at the same time. And so I thought, okay, you know, I'm really into this research now. I'll just carry on and do this PhD. And then the book writing just took off as well. So I've ended up doing them in tandem (laughs) for the last six years, which has been crazy. (laughs) But so worthwhile that I kept looking and going I'm super busy I you know I know that this isn't great for me but I cannot give either of them up because I'm really passionate about the books and I'm also really passionate about the research so I just kept going with both of them and I'm almost there silly question but I'm hoping that since I'm wondering it, other people might be too when you do a PhD that's based on creative writing there's no you're not learning any techniques as such. Is it just purely researching what's in the books? How does it work? Yeah, so mine is like a, um, it's kind of part the creative practice and part uh, the theory. So basically the novel is part of the PhD and the theory addresses the same question but from a theoretical standpoint. So both the things address what what's happened with this missing mother in fiction and how we could reintroduce and re-empower mothers in fiction with young adult heroines right. and that's the way I've approached it um so, so do it's you have someone coming... workshopping the novel side of it with you or yeah I do I have two supervisors amazing supervisors I think you've interviewed one of them because David, David Wish Wilson, Wilson yes he dropped your yeah. name yeah yeah <laughs> um and Christina Lee is the other one and they've been amazing And so they're constantly pushing me to think harder and better and more clearly about what I'm writing about from both sides. So Dave has done the um, novel and Christina's done the theory. And so I'm basically tackling the same question, but from two different angles, creative angle and the theoretical angle. How was the process this time around? I mean, like I mentioned at the start of the interview, you've got six psychological suspense novels already published that have been bestsellers. Now writing this new one, having someone workshopping it alongside you, did it change the process at all? Not that much because really Dave was really kind and left me to my own devices quite a lot to explore and develop and I just ran ideas by him and he would give me bits of feedback but he would leave me the space to actually come up and and try and change and adapt as I went along and and that kind of thing and I found that really valuable because yeah I think obviously he's such an experienced amazing writer himself that he probably knew that you know how to do that whereas yeah maybe it wouldn't have happened in a different context if you're workshopping your novel like that with someone but for me it's been a fantastic experience because he's just known when to say what and help me out yeah so it's been great what was the decision to set the book in the UK as opposed to Australia yeah that was a tricky one so I did think about doing it in Australia but I think um it felt like it fitted the UK for governmental reasons the government felt like it worked well and I think the other reason was just the distances I needed between people getting places. Australia feels like it was just too sprawling and not claustrophobic enough. So I wanted this real intense feeling of 
claustrophobia within the country almost. You know, England is far more intently intensely populated. And so I could get between my little town of Whitehaven on the coast, on the southeast coast, to London quite quickly, to Chelmsford quite quickly. And it just worked logistically, but it could translate to another country. Definitely. So how long have you how long have you been in Australia now? Living? I've been in Australia since two thousand and four. So I'm coming up to seventeen years. But yes. So, so now that we've adopted you here and you've been living <laughs> the WA life, how was it getting your head back around the UK? Did Was it being pre-COVID, did you travel back there for research at all? Uh, not for this one, no. Um, well, actually, I did do some research there, stuff that didn't make it into the book, funnily enough, quite a bit of research of something I was going to do um, that ended up being cut or I didn't even get as far as writing it properly. Um but no, it it's strange because even though I've been in Australia for such a long time, I often write about the UK. I'm very connected to it with having grown up there. My basis of cultural identity is still in the UK as much as it is in Australia. So I hark back to it a lot and, and go between the two. And I really look every time at what what is the best fit for this story and end up just basing it around where the story seems to work best. It's been strange wondering what impact COVID is going to have on the reading of the book, because I've had to adapt to that and try and figure out how reader response will go with COVID. Um, And yeah, obviously it's quite a hard story and to think about reading a story about a a different kind of struggle Mm. um, is difficult right now, but I was really, empowered to keep writing this book because of the strength of the female characters and their journey so I, feel I have like probably that. made it sound like COVID is laced through the book it's not oh um, no but I know what you mean yeah 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 I do I understand exactly what you mean because it's become so topical and obviously now it is interlaced through the book because it's it's got a background of the pandemic the pandemic is mentioned in the book so its context has definitely changed but that female element was where I kept driving my focus um, yeah definitely to try and write something different something fresh so although it changed over time did you plot before you started or have a clear idea of where you wanted it to go or do you pants as they say (laughs) um a little bit of both I always describe my process as a bit more like backstitching because I tend to just write organically for as long as I can and then I go back when I get stuck and I see where I might have gone wrong and then I start making more of a kind of tabular um sheet about the the whole novel and try and break down the different areas that I'm working in and I start looking at a lot more structurally um and then Often I get excited when the story takes off in my head. So I will, if I am excited about the story, I'll just go with that because there's nothing better than writing when you're excited about what you're doing. So I don't let plot hold me back, but at the same time I do go back into it and I'm quite analytical about what I've done, how it's working, how I need to reshape it. So a little bit of both. You were talking about the mother-daughter relationship and obviously how strongly that features and building it through the book you're alternating back and forth between the mum Emma who's a midwife and then um, Lainey her 17 year old daughter how did you find keeping their voices quite distinct and different yeah tricky it definitely took a bit of work um 
there were certainly times when I felt like one was dominating more than the other and that did change a little bit as well as I went on um, and there were certainly times when I felt like their relationship drifted back into certain tropes that I didn't want to happen uh, which was very interesting for me like Lainey tended to sometimes be a little bit more petulant than I wanted her to be and Emma could be a bit more kind of uh, motherly just you know telling her off about certain things that I wanted her to be and I really wanted to try and find the core of them which was the places where they could support one another rather than you know that that you know fall back into stereotypes basically so I worked quite hard to make sure that they were yeah kept separate but it took a lot of effort to keep analyzing that and go back through it so having a daughter yourself did you find that your own mother-daughter relationship shaped anything or was it just completely different um it was very interesting because my daughter's grown up a lot while I've been writing it so my relationship with them has constantly changed. And that is one of the things that I learned through the process of the study was that we often think of mothers as fixed beings, but this is a real constantly shifting, changing relationship on both sides and identities change and roles change all the time. Um, My daughters are still only 12 and eight, so haven't quite got to where Lainey is yet. But I think certainly... I would like to think there's representations of mothers and daughters in that book um, in ways that I would like us to be when we're older. You know, certainly admire the way that the women are with each other in this story. And I'm glad that I've managed to represent what I wanted to in terms of those tight bonds. Do you do any, like, um, character construction things before you start writing character building activities or anything? Um. Not to a great degree, but I have them in my head normally for at least a year before I start writing. So I don't put a lot down on paper to start with. And I find that process of, you know, sometimes people have character analysis sheets and they go, what's this? What's that? What's this? I find that a bit, I can't do it. I keep trying to do it and I struggle with it. But again, I can do it reflectively. So I can go, once I've written, I can go back into it and go, oh, what is her motivation and what does she look like and what, but I just like to let them settle in, I guess, to so start with. So I find a lot story. of it is very, a lot of it is very organic development to begin with. While I just find my way with them in my head and I let them start talking to me and ask them questions as I'm just planning that story. I mean, I've got a story I want to write next year and the woman whose features in that has been with me for like 18 months, you know, at least. And so just I think about her a little bit every day and just kind of get to know her a little bit more. And I think I try and do that with all my characters so that by the time I write them, they feel very familiar to me. So this is your seventh book now, other than obviously you're doing it as part of, part of the PhD. Has anything changed over the year? What years when you think back to that first book that you had published? And I'll ask you about how that came to be published in a moment. Process-wise, has anything changed? No, I keep trying and I keep trying to change it as well because I keep thinking I can do this more efficiently, you know, and now <laughs> I'm on bit seven. But I go back to the same process, which is writing when I'm excited about the story and then analysing. And and I find that that is, I think that's the point where I start analysing is what other people call writer's block because it's where you get stuck. And for me, I know that getting stuck is just the time to 
analyze to take it apart to yeah then go into looking at it very structurally um plot narrative everything and see what's happening to it um so that's been really beneficial and i think even though i've tried to do it in different ways i always come back to doing it like that it must just be the my natural way of working well, it seems to be working well, so perhaps stick with it. <laughs> you yeah. Tell me that first book, how did you come to be published? Well, um, I worked on Come Back to Me for quite a long time. Um, I was living in England when I got the idea for Come Back to Me. And in actual fact, I'd also already written little bits for Beneath the Shadows, which ended up being my second book. Um, so I took it over here with me when we came to Australia and kept working on it half half measures really I I was a book editor as well so I was doing editing lots of other people's books and then it was really when I neared 30 that I thought hmm I still haven't really done anything with this book and I'd really like to and in the meantime I wrote this book um (laughs) which I suddenly decided I wanted to write a book about a woman who didn't want to have children and it was a very light-hearted book just about her experience of not wanting to have kids and what her family thought about it and the pushback she got and all that kind of thing. And I wrote it in three weeks and edited it in another three. And it was a hundred thousand word novel and I just went for it. And I don't know. Did you leave the computer at all in that time? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I probably didn't, but literally I was crazy. I just got possessed by the story and I ended up getting the whole thing ready in six weeks um and sent it off to an agent and she said um okay I can see that you've got something you've got talent but I don't really want this book it's too light-hearted it's very sort of fluffy what else are you doing and I said oh I've got this idea for this other story and um so and I told her about come back to me and she said yeah work on that and then come and then come back to me me. So I went away and worked really hard on that and took a few months off my day job to actually try and push through and get that finished. Um, and then I worked on it with the agent for another year before she would send it out to anyone. But when she sent it out to people, then a lot of the big publishers were interested and I ended up being able to fly to Sydney and choose who I wanted to publish yeah. that book, which was amazing. Um, but I often talk about the book that I wrote in six weeks as the most successful book I never published because <laughs> I think what it did was it gave me the confidence that I could finish something and that you forget how big that is for aspiring writers but actually getting to the end is such a big deal and I'd never done it before that so it proved to me that I could do it and once I did that I've got to the end of a lot more so yeah it's been great. What's your speed like now? Where's it gone from six weeks to... Oh it's terrible I don't... <laughs> I blame the children. <laughs> I don't know what's happened to me. Sometimes if I get, but I do write in bursts, so I'll go without writing for quite a long period of time and then I'll write in a big, long burst and that seems to be my process as well, which drives me nuts because I want to write steadily every day like other writers seem to. <laughs> but no, my life seems a bit too crazy and, yeah, it just seems to suit me as well to do these big bursts. Before we get into your crazy life, which we will go there, um, so having been a book editor for HarperCollins and then freelance, did that guide anything with your own writing? Did you feel like it made it easier or was it more of a challenge because you kind of knew the pressures that were out there? 
Um, I think it made it a lot easier, to be honest. So I think it meant that I knew how to break down a book and to be able to put my editor's hat on, look at it um, before it even goes out. So that gave me a head start in getting interest from agents and publishers because I could switch from one to the other. And that still helps me to this day because I can... My agent often says I send things in that are very tightly polished um, as first drafts, and that's because I can switch back and forth between the two. Not that all of them have been tightly polished. Some of them have been less polished than others. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I think that knowledge helped, and also the industry knowledge helped because you forget how little people know about the industry when they go into trying to get books published. But having a background of how it all works, the process um, and the challenges, the immense challenges of not just getting it published, but then forging a career as an author. I was aware of all that before I started. So I've been able to do some guidance ahead of time rather than trying to play catch up. What sort of books were you editing? Across the board, like anything from coffee table books, non-fiction, literary fiction, commercial fiction, all sorts of things. And that was really valuable as well. Um, I know one of the books that I edited a long time ago was the Governor General of Western Australia's collection of speeches. And it was things like that where I got an insight into books that I would just not pick up. I would never have thought to pick up a book like that. But I loved that book. You know, he was so clever and so insightful about contemporary society at the time. And that gave me a real, really well-rounded approach to writing as well, because I saw lots of different styles, lots of different techniques, and I could put all that into what I wanted to do. Did I read that you had a Leanne Moriarty book that you edited? I did. I did the last anniversary. So that was very cool. Yeah. And I loved her. And I think that she really took off, you know, around the, um, wasn't the hypnotist love story, was it? It was the husband's secret, I think, that was started her build. Obviously, then Big Little Lies. But um, I loved her ever since I read last anniversary and I bought all her books. So it's really nice um, to have watched her career unfold. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Did you read a lot of psychological suspenses while you were an editor? Um, Yes and no. Again, I went through phases of reading different kinds of books. But one of my big inspirations for writing was Nikki French, um, which is a husband-wife writing team, actually. Um, I thought that they were doing really different things with psychological suspense. The way they did one called Beneath the Skin, And there's a plot twist in that that comes about a third of the way through the book that blew me away. I was like, oh, my God, you know, I've never seen that done in a book before. And I love it when writers do that. Yeah. (laughs) Add it to the list. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and I love the psychological element being so strong in their books. I love the fact that it was all about the internal workings of the characters and that was how they created the mystery um, and the suspense. So, They were very much an inspiration, an early inspiration to me. Now, we talked about your crazy life. So on top of writing, you're you're obviously doing the PhD and homeschooling kids as well. How are you juggling everything? Oh, yeah. like (laughs) Every day is a new challenge. (laughs) To be fair, when I speak to other people, I think they have different juggles and mine is just a specific kind of juggle. But it is a lot easier now the kids are a bit older. I think we went through peak juggle at about, you know, eight and four. 
Um, now they actually help me, you know, they can do the housework while I do bits as well. So that's amazing. Um, but yeah, it's an incredible juggle at the moment, but a very worthwhile one. You know, I've got an older girl who um, is really thriving at home and, and has dyslexia. So she loves to kind of learn and study at her own pace and very hands on. And I've got a younger one who seems to want to be a writer and is, um, yeah, really getting into being creative and telling stories. And so obviously that's a joy to be able to work with her as well. So it is a real privilege to be able to spend time with them and I'm enjoying it as much as it's a juggle. When you talk about writing in bursts, do you do you carve out specific time that you want to allocate to writing or is it just little snatched moments here and there? Oh, so how I plan my writing. Yeah, how you, uh, how you get the words done, I suppose. Yeah, um, I do try and carve out time every day. Uh, so my basic plan is that I homeschool in the morning and I finish that kind of late lunchtime and then my time is my own and there's a couple of hours that the girls have time to do things themselves and then they go off to all sorts of after-school activities like guides and basketball and drama and one thing or another and uh, my husband takes them to all that. So then I really have quite a, a period of time where I can devote to writing. So I try and do at least a couple of hours a day of writing if I'm not doing other things like promotional materials and one thing or another. Um, yeah, and I find that works really well. But then sometimes, obviously, life gets in the way and things come along. So I often take weekends as well and sometimes go to a hotel for a night just to really get away. And then I can just focus on the writing. And that ah, yes, going to a hotel to write, not just to kick back and relax and watch TV in peace and quiet. I know. <laughs> well, one day I will do that, you know. <laughs> Because it's crazy because I do get to the hotels and I write from the minute I get in and I slip, often sleep with a laptop on my bed and I write the minute I get up till the minute I leave. And I come home exhausted and everyone's like, you've been at the hotel. <laughs> so time with us. <laughs> so, but it's a really good way of just allowing a good spurt of writing to happen because sometimes home is just too chaotic and you just can't get it done. I stumbled across on your website the author mindset series that you created. I'll get you in case people haven't seen it. Tell me a little bit about what it is and why you created it. Yeah, well, I really wanted to do something um, to help aspiring writers overcome those kind of mental blocks that we all face because I still have them now and I still have to kind of resort to certain tactics to push myself forward in writing um, and in all the different aspects, aspects of creativity. So I decided to look at different elements that you need to persist in your writing. So it's a long time since I did them, but I think perseverance is definitely in there, um, inspiration, all sorts of different elements that you might need and just give a, some thoughts in quite a lighthearted way on how I've handled them, things that I've, ways that I've either managed these things or sometimes come unstuck around these areas. And then one or two tips as to what I would do if you're struggling in a certain area. And then little prompts, you know, just to help you move forward with the idea that it's just a bit of a general guidance for people that might be feeling a bit stuck. Because I think one of the Things that I hear a lot is, you know, I've got a book, I've started a book and people get stuck. And for one reason or another, that book never gets finished. And that's a shame because I'm sure there are some awesome books out there that are just half done, you know, and people have 
lost track for one reason or another. And the mental battle is a very important part of writing and of publishing. Uh, and I'm always interested in the psychological stuff. So it's suspense fiction and in real life. So I really, it's, it's a privilege to be able to support other writers and to provide little bits of info that might help them along the way. We'll steal a little tidbit now. So what's your biggest tip to writers <clears throat> who do find themselves in that situation? A persistence, I think. Like just setting small goals, small bite-sized goals, you know, kind of my mum was always saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You know, and if you've got a massive goal, um, uh, that just you've got to break it down. So otherwise it just seems unachievable. So it's not about, you can have your finished project in your mind and you can have that vision, but every day you need to break it down into something manageable. Otherwise, it just stays as too much of a vision and too much something that's out of reach, whereas you, everyone can do 500 words a day. I think Jenny Colgan once said, and this is a very English thing to say because it was about EastEnders, but she said, if you just switched off EastEnders and wrote for half an hour, you'd have a book in six months or something like that. And it's true, you know, kind of you, if you just do little bits, you'd be surprised how far it can get you in the end. I think so the current one is too. if you just get off social media for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all trying to do that. but yeah. <laughs> The constant battle. Absolutely. What do you find the biggest challenges with writing these days? Um, there's definitely a challenge after seven books in terms of keeping it fresh and wanting to write something different, um, not feel like I don't want readers to ever pick up my books and think, oh, I've read this before, you know, she's like, because you know that happens with other people. And, yeah, so I would love to try and keep it fresh. I think that's probably one of my biggest challenges. Um the stories seem to keep on coming. I've already got a couple backed up that I really want to write. So that doesn't seem to be drying up. But obviously, that's always a fear in the background. But so far, so good. Uh, yeah, so I think just wanting to keep writing at the top of my game as well and keep improving, not sit back on my laurels or get complacent, just keep looking for other things I can add into the stories, make them bigger and better, um, just provide even more entertainment and thought-provoking material as much as I can. I'm always curious. So given you've already had such success, now when you start writing a story, do you pitch it to anyone before you start writing or do you take that gamble and just go for it and hope that it's what publishers are after? It's kind of a little bit of both. So I'm always quite surprised at sometimes publishers when you sign a deal, they go, oh, you know, can you tell us what your next couple of books are going to be about? And you go, oh, <laughs> haven't really got that far but then often I have a little idea floating about in my head so I'll put something down and they're normally pretty good and you just do a page and um and tell them roughly what it's going to be about and I do them teaser style you know try and get them excited about the story um, but then the stories change a lot as you write them as well so sometimes you feel like what you're handing in is not what you promised them <laughs> but then hopefully you've improved on that along the way. So that's always going to be a bonus. So a, a little bit of both, but it does always take me back where everyone's kind of, what's the next thing? I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, I haven't got my head around <laughs> what I've almost what I've done yet. So there's more of a challenge in that actually to keep thinking about what you want to do next, because it does become more of a question that's asked as you go along. You often hear people um, say, if, you know, if you're approaching publishers, make sure you have that other idea in your head because they might ask what else you're working on realistically 
if you get asked that question and you've got, say, an idea that you can kind of generate a bit of a synopsis about but you haven't started, is there a kind of standard time that you've then got to work on that idea? How What would they be expecting um, time-wise for you to produce it? Well, they love they have loved you to do a novel a year, which is intense when you're doing promotion as well. Um, so I've done a novel a year and I've experienced that that is pretty intense. So I have asked that I maybe have a little bit longer um, to do them. I think that it really depends because some novels come out really fast because you just know what you're doing. Everything fits together. Life works. and and everything happens and that novel's a dream. But then at other times, obviously, someone in your family gets sick and you get stuck and one thing, another. So the best way is when you're allowed the time you need to make that story the best it can be. And I think, yeah, publishers are generally very supportive nowadays in allowing that to happen. They want the best story you've got to offer as well. So there's not too much pressure. I think five years ago, there was more pressure to get books out at speed but now I think everyone's realizing there are a lot of books in the world a lot of amazing books in the world and what we want is more amazing stories not more more rushed stories so I think the pressure has died down a little bit so what are you working on now now that the hush is coming out (laughs) well yes I am trying to finish my PhD theory is is my main goal for the end of this year and then I'm also working on a little bit of a secret project that I can't talk about yet until I've finished it, uh, which hopefully will be soon, though. By the time you bring this out, we might be able to talk about it. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and then I'm planning to hopefully have a rest over Christmas and then start working on this other idea I've got sort of February time next year. So hopefully it won't be too long for there's another book. I always ask this question and I end up feeling a little bit teased at the end. I'm like, why do I ask? You do it to yourself every time. <laughs> I'm hoping for this juicy little tidbit. Yeah. <laughs> so before we end, what would your number one tip be for someone who's aspiring to write a psychological suspense novel? It would be to read psychological <laughs> suspense novels and just analyze how they do it if you have a book that you love take that book break it down I mean I've had books by the side of my desk when I've been writing these books I've been okay I want to write a little bit like this a little bit like this I'm going to refer to these books and really check how they've managed to build that suspense that atmosphere that pace that tension um and then take all that and try and put that into your book and just build from there but learn from the people that you love because that's a great way forward. I'll put you on the spot here and take the question in a different way. So there's no obviously magic formula to what makes a psychological thriller, but in your head when you sit down to write yours, are there any um, like check boxes that you want to make sure, okay, it does this, this and this, and that means it's ready to go? I think the biggest check box I have when I'm writing is that I want to end every chapter so that you want to read more so that you can't put it down like I really do get a kick out of it when people go I was reading till the early hours I couldn't put it down I want to keep you hooked on the story once I've got you and so I'm always looking at how I shape every chapter so that the end of that 
will make you go, no, I can't go to bed. I've got to read one more. I've got to read one more. And if I can do that, I think that I'm doing pretty well. Well, look, the hush definitely did that to me. My husband can attest to the fact I had my little book light in the middle of the night and was driving him absolutely <laughs> bonkers with it. It is amazing and I can't wait for people to read it. Sarah Foster, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Make sure you check out the back catalogue and while you're there, I'd love it if you left a rating or review. It helps other people discover the podcast. If there's an author you want me to chat to or you just want to say hi, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Shanae Maripodi. That's C-H-E-N-E-E. Thanks for listening. Bye.